All right, good morning, church. Come on, good morning, church. Man, we're glad you're here this morning. We have been right in the middle of a series called Fight Club. And if you're kind of new to the series, this is your first time here, this is a series that is on marriage. However, we said it last week, if you are single, widowed, divorced, this series is still for you. You may have aspirations one day to be married, and so some things you need to learn in this series to help you in the future. Or even if you're here today and you find yourself in that single category, maybe widowed or widower or divorced, and you're like, man, I've had my chance at marriage and I don't want to do that. Listen, there's still some truths we can learn about this that you can encourage other people. You can pray for different families and different marriages. So ultimately, this series is for all of us. Now, when we started this series, we said this, that there's one thread that we're going to talk about all the way through this series, and it was this thread. If you are married, you have a choice to make. You can either fight in your marriage, or you can fight how? For. for your marriage. You can either fight in it, or you can choose to fight for your marriage. And the reality is this, fighting in your marriage is super easy to do, right? I mean, it's super easy. All you have to do is elevate your rights and you can fight for your marriage. If you just want to spend your time pointing out your spouse's imperfections and pointing out how they owe you, that is the surefire way for you to make sure that you're fighting in your marriage. And some of you, as we started this series, have fought more in the last two weeks than you fought maybe in the last two years because you're trying to work on it and the enemy's coming after you. And so if you don't want to fight in your marriage, hopefully you want to fight for your marriage. And fighting for your marriage is all about not elevating your rights, but elevating your responsibilities. And so last week we talked about, first of all, I talked to the husbands. I spent a whole message just on the husbands, and I'm sure there's some wives out there that were kind of elbowing them as I went through it or kind of gave them that little stank eye look like, you know, you've been doing this and you need to work on that. And so I'm sure that happened. At the end of the day, husbands, hopefully what we got out of last week was this, is that we are called Apostle Paul, Ephesians 5 tells us that we are called, no matter what it takes, no matter what they do, no matter what we feel, to love our wives. That means we're to love them based on their position as our wives, not based on their performance. That means we're to love our wives as we love ourselves. And ultimately, that means we're to love our wives sacrificially. Now, I used an example last week when I was talking about sacrificially. It was one of these random examples that kind of, as I'm talking, it kind of comes to mind. Sometimes that doesn't work out for me. Sometimes it does. Last week, not so much. And I used the example that husbands, sacrificing for your wife is not just simply having this idea like, hey, I want to watch The Chosen tonight, but you want to watch The Bachelorette, so I'll watch what you want to watch. You remember me talking about that last week? You remember that same end? Okay, you remember that. So that was, that, was, that was kind of the example of what sacrifice is not. Sacrifice, ultimately, laying your life down for your spouse. That's what that means, and we talked about that. But I was reminded, maybe confronted might be a better word, at lunch that when I used that example, I might have gave the implication that my wife watches The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I want to stand and clarify all those kind of thoughts. She has never watched The Bachelor. She never watched The Bachelorette. And there's no, she's never watched any of that kind of stuff. In fact, she rarely watches TV. So she strongly urged me today to make sure... You know what I mean by that, don't you, man? Right? So she strongly urged me today to remind everybody to, clear, to set the record straight that that is not something that she watches. So if the record's been set clear and it's straight, say, all clear. Great, you just saved my marriage. Thank you so much. So today, <laughs> we're going to talk to the wives, all right? Today, I want to talk about the, to the wives. I want to talk about what is your God-given responsibility in your marriage. 
Now, as you're going to look at, as we're going to find these responsibilities, it's really going to look at maybe three areas that you need to focus on, three areas that wives are to focus on. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And I know you've been standing a lot today, but I'm going to ask you to one more time to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible or a smart device, it'll be up on the screen. Verses 1 through 6, this is what the Word of the Lord says through the Apostle Peter. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. Do not let adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or clothing you wear. But let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you are good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this passage. We, there's so much for us to learn today. And God, I pray for the wives today that they, they would be able to glean some things they need to focus on. And as husbands today, that we would listen today with a heart that is open and receptive to what we know our wives need to hear, but also what you have to say to us. There's things that you want to point out to the wives that we need to be mindful of as husbands as well, that we need to make sure we're aware of so that we can compliment, encourage, and nurture our spouses. So God, be with us today. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, as you look at the passage, there are three things that I think wives need to focus on. Three things that point us to our responsibilities as wives. And the first one is this. It's the word, and I know you've all heard it, it's the word submission, right? It's the word submission. Look at me in verse 1 again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That word subject can be translated to be submissive or to be in submission to. And what Peter is getting at is the first and foremost thing that wives should focus on in your marriage is being submissive to your husband, not everybody's husband, but to your own husband. Be, and the idea of submissive means to be subject to. And so he says, I want you to be submissive to your husbands. Now, when you think about that, when you think about submission, I want you to understand historically what's going on. Because the first responsibility of every wife is to submit to their husband. And we're going to get to what that means in just a moment, because some of you wives might be bowing up, and some of you husbands are like, yeah, hit them hard, Doug. So I wanted to clarify I want to clarify what that means in just a moment, right? But let me tell you historically what's going on. Why did Peter write this to the first century Christians that were struggling? One thing that was beginning to happen is there were a lot of ladies who were coming to faith in Christ to the people that Peter was writing, these people that he calls exiles in this world. And they were coming to faith in Christ. And what was happening is all these women were coming to faith in Christ, but their husbands were not. And so the ladies were left with a dilemma. What are we going to do about this? Do we stay with our husbands? They aren't Christ fears. They don't, they don't follow Christ. We do. Do we stay with them? Do we divorce them? Do we leave them? Do we no longer listen to them? Because ultimately, if their worldview is not our worldview, what do we do with this? I mean, there was a real dilemma for the first century ladies who came to faith in Christ about what do I do with my marriage? And so Peter's addressing that very thing. And here's his conclusion. Wives, first and foremost, be submissive to your husbands. Well, Doug, what if they're an unbeliever? We'll get to that in a minute, but still, wives, believer or an unbeliever, submit to your husbands. Now, I know when we talk about submission, 
we all get nervous, right? We all get nervous because some of us equate submission to obedience. But the reality is this. I feel like if we understand what true biblical submission is, it'll be liberating for every wife that's in the room today. It'll be liberating. And also for every husband in the room, it'll give you a better understanding of what it means so you don't leverage your leadership in the wrong way in your relationship. Because if you think your wife is to obey you, you are 100% wrong. It's not what Scripture's teaching. And so when we think about submission, let me start with what is submission not? Okay, so ladies, if you want to take some notes, I encourage you to do this because you might want to remind your husbands of this later, right? First thing submission is not, submission is not obeying your husband. It's not obedience. There's two Greek words. One Greek word implies obedience and one Greek word implies submission. That is not the word he uses here. He's the word for submission, to place yourself under. That's what he uses here. So it is not obeying your husband. Submission also means you don't always have to agree with your husband. Can I get an amen, ladies? Yeah, the guys are like, you better not say right. But you know it's true. You don't have to always agree with your husbands. That's not submission. Submission is nothing this. This is important. Submission is not putting his will ahead of Jesus' will for your life. Here's what I mean. If your husband wants to lead you down a path of sin, you no longer have to submit to those things that's going to lead you to sinful behavior. Because Jesus trumps your husband. Amen? You need to know that, all right? So if he wants to take you down a sinful path, if he's not a believer or a believer, and wants to take you down doing some sinful things, you do not have to yield to that leadership that's leading you down that path. Also, submission is not this. Submission is not you gaining your sense of value, worth, and identity from your husband. Some of you, like I know, I know early on, in, uh, when, maybe several years ago, we had moved to my hometown and uh, one thing that was interesting was I grew up in my, you know, obviously my hometown, and I knew everybody, and Sonny didn't know anybody. And as we would go through probably the first five years of living there, uh, before we planted a church, everybody go, oh, you're Doug's wife, oh, you're Doug's wife. Oh, you're... So her, literally her sense of identity came from the community, came from her connection to me. And then something happened. We planted a church. And when you plant a church and you're the church planter, guess what you no longer have? And income. And so we said, honey, you might have to go get a job and help us because we have no income. So she gets a job. She starts teaching school. And I remember the day she came home. She came to me and she said, she said, Doug, this is one of the greatest days today that I've had since we moved here. And I said, what do you mean? She said, because I was recognized as Miss Osborne, the school teacher, not Miss Osborne, Doug's wife. And I thought that was a very powerful statement. In fact, when I would go visit her school, are you Miss Sonia's husband? <laughs> I mean, the roles had switched a little bit, right? And I loved it because submission is not you gleaning your sense of value and worth and identity out of your husband. So these are things submission is not. So what is biblical submission? Now I want you to maybe take some notes there. The word submission means to place under. In fact, a better, translate, a better definition would be to voluntarily relinquish your rights to someone else is what submission is. So if I say to you, if Tyler and I were talking, say, hey, and Tyler says, Doug, what does it mean to submit to the Lord? That means I'm going to voluntarily relinquish my rights and place myself voluntarily under God's leadership, his authority in my life. That's what submission means. So when you submit to the Lord, you're relinquishing your rights and you're placing yourself under the Lord's leadership and authority in your life. So as it relates to marriage, wives, here's what submission means. It means voluntarily Placing yourself under the leadership of your husband. That's all it means. To voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Now listen to me. Don't miss this. Not because of his uh, performance. 
Not because of his behavior, not because he deserves you to do it. The reason you are to place yourself under the leadership of your husband is because of his position. He is your husband. And if you, you know, the, I don't understand it all because what I do know for most of us, we would all agree that women are way smarter than we are. But in God's economy, God has chosen to make the man the head of the household, the leader of the household, and the wives are to place themselves under the leadership of their husband. Not because of their performance, because many husbands are terrible at this, but because of their position, because God has said, I've placed them in this place. So I want you to voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of your husband because that's what I want from you. Not because they've earned it, not because their behavior has dictated it, but because this is what I want you to do. Now, when you think about submission, I want you to know this about submission, ladies. First of all, submission first and foremost is to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, you go back and read it later. Your submission first and foremost is Christ. You are to submit yourselves and you are to place yourself under the authority and the, the leadership of Christ. But I want to say something to you, and I want you to hear me say it. Wives, you will never submit biblically to your husbands until you first have submitted to the Lord. Do you hear me on that? You will never be submissive to your husbands if you're not first submissive to the Lord. And listen, I, 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 maybe this should have been a dialogue I had with somebody, but I just know, as I've talked about this many, many times, there's probably some of you wives out there that just want to bow up and just say, but he doesn't deserve it. I know it. I know most guys are idiots. I know that. But at the end of the day, that is still God's plan. And God's not an idiot. God is wise. God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. And God has a reason for what he does, even when we don't understand it. And so placing yourself under his leadership is not saying that you're inferior to him. See, when you submit to Christ first, then you'll submit to your husbands. But I want you to know, ladies, when you submit to your husbands, you're not sending them a message that somehow, husband, you are superior and I'm inferior. That's not what that means. In fact, in marriage, it is a partnership. In fact, doesn't Scripture say that we're to be submissive to one to another? That husbands, there's times that we are submitting to our wives. Listen, wives, when you're in a submissive relationship and you're submitting to your husbands, that doesn't mean your voice doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you're insignificant. That doesn't mean that, that your words and your passions and your desires are just kind of irrelevant. No, no, no. If a husband treats you that way, you need to go get some counseling because he's abusing the leadership God has allowed him to have. So ladies, if you are going to fight for your marriage, first and foremost, you've got to focus on the area of submission. You've got to take up the responsibility to place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Now, did you notice here something Peter said interesting? He said, uh, so that even those that do not obey the word, meaning those that are unbelievers, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of your wives. Here's what Peter's saying. Listen, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, there's some of you that are married to non-believing husbands. And if you will submit to them, if you will place yourself under the leadership, as long as their leadership's not leading you into sin, if you will place yourself under that, your submission to them could be the very thing that wins their heart and they come to faith in Christ. Think about that one. Without a word. Now, this phrase, without a word. Now, I don't know about some of you. How many of you ladies like to talk a lot? Just to be honest, just talk, you like to talk a lot. Okay, somebody's raising somebody else's hand now, all right? I'm not going to ask your husband because I know what that answer is going to look like, right? How many of you are the kind of people, you don't have to raise your hand, but when you start talking, it turns into lecture mode? Anybody like that? Husbands, don't even make eye contact with me, I, right? You know? Here's the thing. 
without a word means you're not even trying to convince them. They are seeing the beauty of your relationship with Christ through your actions, not even through your words. And I'm going to tell you, what, what we're learning here is that wives, if you will take up this first responsibility and be submissive to your husband, your conduct of submission can be the very thing that wins a non-believing husband into a relationship with Christ. And if you have a believing husband, it can be the very thing that causes them to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Christ and a deeper desire to be the kind of spiritual leader that God has called him to be. Your actions can do that. So first thing, first responsibility, ladies, submit your husbands. The second thing that we need to focus on outside of submission is the idea of purity. Look at me in verse 1 again. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see, underline that word see, your respectful and your pure conduct. Now, are husbands impacted by your heart to submit and to place yourself under the leadership and you do it not begrudgingly, but you do it as unto the Lord. Are husbands impacted by that? Yes, they are. But you know what also husbands are impacted by? Is the purity of their wives. Now, you notice what he said there. Let them see your respectful and pure conduct. So in other words, that would translate, if you were to translate that out, I would say, let them see your respectful conduct and let them see your pure conduct. That word respect and pure has nothing to do with your relationship to your husband right there. It has everything to do with the wise relationship to the Lord. He said, so literally, here's what Peter's saying. Let your husbands see your respect for the Lord. Let them see your reverence for the Lord. Let them see how much you're in awe of a creator God, but also let them see your pure conduct. Let them see your devotion to God. Let them see the lack of sin that's in your life. Just make sure that when your husband sees you, believing or non-believing, that what they see in you is your respect and your reverence for the Lord, but what they also see in you is your devotion to Christ. Now, just a real quick thing, ladies. Does your husband see that in you? Do they? Why don't you think about that for a moment? Because if husbands were honest this morning, they would say, believing or non-believing, that when they see their spouses, their wives, having this total reverence and respect for the Lord, one where they realize that following Christ is a privilege and that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and when they see their wives making sure that they are devoted to Christ, that they are reading their Bible, they are praying, and they are living a life where they truly are loving God and loving people and not just talking about it, does that have an impact on your husband? It does. I'm going to tell you, when you walk into my household, when you walk out of my bedroom on my left, my wife's Bible and her Bible study stuff sits there all the time. Now listen, it's not just decor on the table. It's not just decor. She's in there reading it all the time. She's praying all the time. She is exemplifying what it means to love God and love people. And I'm not just building her up because she thought I've made everybody think she watched The Bachelors. I'm saying it is a reality in our household. Is it not, David? I mean, every day it's right there. Now, do you think that encourages me when I see her reading her word? Do you think it encourages me that I know that she's living out this loving God, loving people? Absolutely. What does it do for me? It makes me want to be a better spiritual leader in my household. It makes me love Jesus just that much more because of her conduct. No words, but what I see in her is a reverence for the Lord. What I see in her is pure conduct. I see a devotion to Christ. And so, ladies, one of the areas that you've got to focus on, yes, it's submission, but also it's your purity. 
Do you have a reverence for the Lord? And is your husband seeing it? Do you have a dedication to Christ and they see that you are devoted to him and that you're not walking down a path of sinfulness? Is there purity in your heart? And so ladies, here's a couple of questions I want to ask you. And I want you to think about these. If you're, if you're striving to be a person with pure conduct and respectful conduct, here's a couple of questions I want to ask you. In your marriage, are your motives pure with your husband? When you, if you're striving for this purity that we're talking about, the first thing I want you to ask to kind of evaluate your own marriage, are your motives pure with your husband? In other words, do you go to your husband with a pure heart, trying to demonstrate Christ and let them know how you're feeling, or are you a manipulator? Or do you try to manipulate the situation? You think maybe he's not going to give you what you want or he's not going to do what you think he ought to do. And so all of a sudden, the waterworks come on and you manipulate the situation just to get what you want. Is there pure conduct or are you manipulating? Or, I'm not trying to call you one, or is there a lying sense about you where you say your husband goes, hey, what's wrong, honey? And what does most women say? Nothing. Lies, Right? Because we know, because there's like a scowl on your face, and your eyebrows are sagged in the middle, and you look at us with a death grip. I mean, there's something wrong with you, right? And I'm assuming it wasn't bad food, so something is not right with you. And so I'm just saying, ladies, if you're going to have a sense of pure conduct where they can see your reverence for Christ and your devotion to Christ, are your motives with your husband pure? You go with them with that kind of reverence for the Lord and that kind of devotion to Christ. Do they see that in you? Or when they look at you, do they see someone who's a manipulator? Someone who is lying to them? Another thing, ladies, I think you need to ask yourselves is, are your desires pure in your marriage? Are your desires pure? You know, I can't tell you the number of times, and I know we talk about this and we maybe talk about it too much, but we all know this, that while there's a great benefit of social media, there's also great hindrances to social media, right? And I can't tell you the number of times I've got friends and I've got friends who know people in their own church where they, the wives and maybe even the husbands don't desire purity in their marriage. And so they look beyond their marriage to find things to confirm and to kind of make them feel connected and loved. And so they get on Facebook. And they find an old high school sweetheart or find an old college roommate or find someone in college that they used to date and they, and they kind of reconnect. And next thing you know, this, this innocent idea of just reconnecting with somebody that used to make me feel special, used to make me feel loved, and now you reconnect with them and now it becomes an online thing. And next thing you know, you have an inappropriate online relationship and you're not being pure in your marriage because you're looking everywhere else for love than with the per- instead of the person that stood in front of a pastor and you made a commitment to. And I'm just asking you, is your motives in your marriage pure? And there's one more thing I want to ask you. Are your expectations of your husband pure? Do you expect the right things out of your husband? Now I'm going to go back to a terrible illustration. You ready? I'm going to go back to The Bachelor just for a moment. If you watch The Bachelor, I'm not, we're, not, we're not fussing at you or anything like that. Once again, Sonia does not watch The Bachelor. So I'm going to throw that in there, right? But let's think about The Bachelor for a moment. These guys are perfect, right? I mean, they like got like chiseled chins. I mean, they look like their abs look like they came out of a 3D printer. I mean, there's there is there's like nothing wrong with these guys. But also, you know this, they don't have any jobs and they're being told what to say all the time, right? And so we look at the world and we look at men around us and maybe we have ungodly expectations of our husband. Should you get your expectations of what you want your husband to be and act like from a television show or from a magazine? The answer is no. 
Your expectations of your husband should come from God's word, that he would love you as Christ loved the church. So ladies, if we're going to fight for our marriage, our first responsibility is to be submissive to your own husbands. Second of all, be pure in your conduct. Be pure. Let your husband see your reverence for the Lord and your devotion to Christ. One more thing I want you to notice as we close today, and it's this. One other thing to focus on is beauty. Look at me in verse 3 and 4. It says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is God's sight is very precious. Let me just say this to all the ladies. Don't pursue beauty through fashion. Can I just say something maybe you need to hear today? Ladies, wives, single ladies, widowers, divorced, do you know how God sees you? You're beautiful to him. Without all the makeup, without all the jewelry, without all the perfume that, you know, makes people nauseous. I mean, all of all that. <laughs> You're beautiful. Now listen, here's what he's saying. Do you notice what he picked up on here? What they would do in the first century is they would adorn themselves and they would braid their hair. They would adorn themselves by putting on all this gold jewelry. And they would adorn themselves with the clothing they wore. Now, why did they do that? The reason they did that, and the reason Peter's addressing it is because they were braiding their hair, putting all this jewelry on, and putting all these clothing on, and they were doing it to gain attraction. They wanted people to notice them. They wanted people to see them and to confirm that they are beautiful, to confirm that they do matter, confirm that they are significant. And the reality is what you put on the outside is not a reflection of what's on the inside, is it? It's not a reflection. He said, I want you to focus on your inner beauty, not this external stuff. Now listen, I, I want to be kind of sympathetic this morning because I think there's some reasons why many people, many women, many wives don't feel beautiful. And I think one of those reasons is you fall into the comparison trap. You've gone through stores, you've gone through, uh, you know, checkout lines, and you've seen the magazines, right? You've seen this is what a beautiful person's supposed to look like, this is how tan you're supposed to be, this is what your abs are supposed to look like. I mean, we are inundated with that kind of garbage everywhere we go. And where does that lead us? Well, ladies, can I tell you where it leads you? Because there's over $10 billion a year spent in plastic surgery. So we're looking at all these, this worldly of what beauty looks like. So now we need nip, tucked, you know, reduced, and we need to be shaped and, and, and sculpted. We've got all this stuff that's got to be done because we want to be beautiful. And it leads us down this path of going, you know what? I've got to have maybe plastic surgery. Or for some of us, it leads us down a path going, I don't look like them. I need to eat better. But eating better turns into an extreme. It becomes an eating disorder. You think that's God's will for your life? To be anorexic or bulimia? Do you think that's God's plan for you? No. But what fuels it? The comparison trap. And there's some of you ladies here today. Listen to me. I love you, and God thinks you're beautiful, and I want you to hear this. You have bought into the comparison trap. You've bought into what the world is saying, and you think you've got to do something to change your outward appearance as if that's going to change the beauty that is inside you. And it's not. Right? Now, another reason I think some ladies struggle with beauty is because of what's been done to you. Maybe there's some things that have been done to you, and what's been done to you does not make you feel very beautiful. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, and he just walked out. 
I had a friend of mine when, uh, when I was right after college, Sonia had moved to Tennessee, and I, I get this phone call, and it wasn't a cell phone because there were no cell phones. It was on the rotary dial phone. I get this phone call from a friend of mine, and she tells me that, hey, she'd been married two years, and her husband had left her. I mean, he literally left her a note saying, I don't love you. I never did love you. I don't think you're beautiful, and I found someone else, and left it on the table and walked out and never came back again. Do you think she felt beautiful in that moment? No. So maybe something's been done to you. Maybe something's been done to you, or maybe you've been taken advantage of. Maybe somebody's mistreated you, and you feel like damaged goods, and you're living in shame, and you're living in guilt, and you're, just, you're wrestling with some stuff. Listen, we, there's reasons why you don't feel beautiful, and you've got to get to the heart of that. But here's what Peter says. He says, beauty comes from within. Look at verse 4 again. He said this, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Listen, I want you to hear me on this, and this might be worth writing down. Beauty is not something you put on, it's who you are. Beauty is not something you put on. What you put on does not make you beautiful. Who you are makes you beautiful. All the men should say amen to that one. Amen, men? Who you are. And he says here that who you are is an imperishable thing, meaning it's incorruptible. He talks about a gentle and a quiet spirit. That word gentle just means a selfless spirit. That word, that phrase quiet spirit means a non-combative spirit. He says, listen, wives, what makes you beautiful has nothing to do with your outer appearance, but has everything to do with your selfless, non-combative, compassionate, loving, tender heart. That's what makes you beautiful. Oh, and by the way, Notice what he says here at the end, for which in God's sight is very precious. That when God sees that, that's what's precious to him. So ladies, if you're going to fight for your marriage, the third thing I think we need to do, the third responsibility, yes, we need to submit to our husbands. Yes, we need to, to make sure that we are pure in conduct. But lastly, we need to make sure that we focus on your internal beauty, not your external beauty. And so today, wives, as we close, ladies, as we close this morning, I just want to challenge you with this. If you're going to fight for your marriage, would you first submit to Christ this morning? Would you say, Lord, I'm placing myself under your leadership and your authority, but then would you also make sure that you submit to your husband and let your actions win over their heart, maybe win them to salvation, maybe win them to a deeper love with Christ, but would you submit to Christ and then your husband? And the second of all, ladies, would you make sure that your motives are pure this morning? Maybe you need to think about a conversation you have with your husband. Maybe you want to back up and go, well, my motives, I want them to be pure, but I am really good at manipulating things. And you need to choose to go, I don't want to do that anymore. I want my motives to be pure. I want my husband to see my reverence for the Lord and my dedication to him and me not pursuing a path of sinfulness, not trying to manipulate him, not trying to go outside our marriage to find connection, not doing any of those things, but pure in my motives. And also, if you're going to fight for your marriage, ladies, would you realize that in Christ, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. And it has nothing to do with what's out here. It has everything to do with what's in here. So, ladies, I want to ask you all a question. Which one of these three do you struggle with? Submission? Purity? Beauty? And what steps are you willing to take to make a change in your life so that you can fight for your marriage.
Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just stand together. And just right now, the quietness of the moment. You don't have to say this out loud. But ladies, would you just say this in your heart and in your mind? I am beautiful. I am. I feel like there's a lot of ladies here that may be struggling. If you're married, maybe you're struggling with that submission. But hopefully today you feel liberated because you know it's not about obedience. It's about voluntarily placing yourself under your husband's leadership. But today maybe you're struggling with pure motives and being pure in your conduct. Today would you just make a commitment to the Lord that I, I want my husband to see my love for you and my reverence for you over anything else. And you want to make a commitment today not to be a manipulator. You want to make a commitment today to not look outside the walls of your marriage for comfort and connection, but to to lean on your husband, to lean on your spouse. But for all ladies in the room today, I don't care what your marital status is, you need to know that you are beautiful. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to know that this morning. And the beauty that you have is a beauty that's inside. It's a hidden feature of the heart. Jewelry can't compare to your inward beauty. Braiding of hair and clothing can't compare to the beauty that you have inside. And there's a lot of ladies in the room today. And I would venture to say there are a lot of ladies that are struggling with identity and beauty and value and worth. And you just need to hear this guy say that God says you are beautiful. And that beauty shows up in a gentle spirit. In a non-compatible spirit. But a spirit of love and compassion and grace. So wherever you, whichever one you're struggling with today, would you just lay that before the Lord? And then ask yourselves, what steps are you willing to take to make a change in your life so you can fight for your marriage? God, I love you. And I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the kindness of these people to let me talk about something because I am not a wife. I am a husband. And God, I know that as we go through this passage, it can be difficult. But God, I pray that we see the truth of your word. Submission is not a bad word. Purity is not a bad word. Beauty is not a bad word, Lord. In fact, when we look at Jesus, we see all that in Jesus. Jesus submitted himself under the leadership and authority of the Father. Jesus' motives were as pure as they get. And what drew people to Jesus was not his outward beauty, because we know that there was nothing to look at him that was attracting us to him, but there was his inward beauty. There was something in him that people were drawn to him. So God, I pray for wives that they would go, you know, I need to do these things. I need to focus on these things because by focusing on these things, it makes me more like Jesus. So God, I pray for us today. I pray for marriages today. I pray husbands would go, yes to my responsibilities. And wives would go, yes to my responsibilities. And that marriages would grow stronger. And marriages that are broken or fractured would be reunited and restored and reconciled. 
And God, I even pray for those that aren't married today. Those that wrestle with identity and value. That they would realize that all that comes from you. Not from our outward appearance. So God, would you just be with us this morning? Would you work on hearts only as you can? And will we be faithful to respond to you? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen. Two questions, ladies. What area do you struggle with? And what are you willing to do to make a change? Please don't leave this space this morning if you haven't answered those two questions. If you want to come to this altar, it's wide open. If you just want to kneel and sit with your husband or someone around you, maybe you're single and you're struggling with beauty, grab someone around you and say, will you just pray with me? Just spend some time approaching the throne together with somebody. However you need to be respond to the Lord, would you be faithful to do that as we continue to worship?